We're going through the book of Romans in this series called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. And one thing we're looking for in this series is clarity about the truth of the gospel. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says, the gospel is not some lame, weak message to be ashamed about. Rather, it's the power of God for salvation. It's unlike any other religion or philosophy in the world because salvation, according to the gospel, is something that God's power achieves. And therefore, it's not something that we achieve, but something that we receive from God. And it's all out of God's grace. So even if we are a complete mess, even if we don't deserve it, even if we didn't do anything to earn this, God saves us the moment we put our faith in His promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's purely by grace. And whenever the sheer grace of the gospel is beginning to be understood, one of the first few questions that people always ask is, well, if salvation is 100% grace and we don't do anything to deserve it, well, then how can this change people? Doesn't that encourage people to sin more, not less? How can that stop sin? And that's actually a good question to ask because you're asking as you're starting to sense how astonishing grace is. You're starting to see just how free the gospel truly is. And so the question is, if God says freely, then how can grace stop sin? You know, the writer W.H. Oden, he has one of his characters say something like this, and it captures our sentiments in this question. He says, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. In other words, why would anyone change on earth? Why bother going through that when they're already assured of heaven, right? And this is a question that people have been asking ever since the gospel was first preached, even back in New Testament times. And people asked Paul the same question. Well, how does Paul respond? Here is Paul's answer. It's in chapter 6. Let me read to you parts of that. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but... 
Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who, as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, once you grasp God's grace, it actually leads you not to sin, but to holiness, to righteousness. Because God's grace has come to so fundamentally change us that we can become truly righteous. But how can that happen? How can grace stop sin? Well, Paul gives us three answers here. He gives us the answer that a spiritual reality is misunderstood, a spiritual key is missing, and a spiritual responsibility is commissioned. And once we understand these three things, God's grace stops sin and leads us to righteousness. So three things. There's a spiritual reality, spiritual key, and a spiritual responsibility. So first of all, let's take a look at the spiritual reality that is being misunderstood here. When we say, if it's all grace, then why change? Why stop sinning? Here's how Paul answers that. Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know? He's saying, don't you realize? You, you haven't the slightest idea, do you? You're, you're, you're misunderstanding something very crucial here. Don't you know? Well, what are we misunderstanding? Well, first of all, take a look at who he's talking to. He's talking about those who are baptized. Now, baptism is like a wedding ring. You know, it's one thing to love someone. It's another to give your lives over to that someone and seal it in marriage. So that's what baptism is. It's a seal of how you've given your life to Jesus Christ, right? So when Paul talks about the baptized, it's just his way of calling the believers, people who have given their lives over to Jesus, most of whom have been baptized, some who are just about to be. Well, what about the believers? What about those who are baptized? Well, Paul says they are united with Christ. Now that word united is an agricultural word. It's a word that means to be engrafted into the root. And so the metaphor here is trying to say that we believers have been engrafted into the very roots of Jesus Christ. We've been fused into Him so that His past is now our past, His future is now our future. Now, what does that, ex what does that exactly mean? Well, in verse 5 it says, We have been united to His death and His resurrection. And here's how Dr. Tim Keller explains this. He uses an illustration. Imagine a person who has uh, become very rich. This person was uh, very talented. She worked very hard. She got lots of opportunities. And so she became very rich, very wealthy. And then this person marries a guy who had absolutely nothing. Tough luck, right? 
what happens? This guy immediately becomes rich as well. Why? Well, they get married. They're now united by a legal union. And so even though this guy had absolutely nothing, just because he's married, he becomes rich, as rich as this person. They're united. And Paul is saying, believers, you have been united with Jesus Christ. What is true about him becomes legally true about you. Everything he's done, everything he's achieved, everything he's earned is now yours as well. And so the death he died to sin is now your death to sin. The life he lives by the resurrection power is now your life as well. Most of us, when we first came to Jesus Christ, you know, we, we weren't thinking about that. We were just thinking that we needed something from him. We needed some of his blessings. You know, we needed to be saved. We needed his salvation. We needed comfort and assurance. We needed hope. We needed our lives to matter. And so most of us, at first, we came to Jesus Christ looking to get some blessings, to use his blessings. And there's nothing wrong with that. God promises to give you those things through Christ, right? But when we stop there, we begin to misunderstand something and we start to say, you know, if it's all grace, then why do I have to change myself? But when we say that, what we're really saying is, well, I got what I needed from him, so then I'll just be on my own way. But Paul says, wait, 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 don't you know? You don't just get a get out of jail free card. You don't just get some blessings from him. God gives you something even greater than that. You don't just get to use his blessings, you're fused into his life. You're united into the roots of Jesus Christ. And that changes your whole spiritual reality. I mean, think about it. Before you came to Christ, what were you? What were we? What was every person before Christ? Paul says, we were slaves to sin. What does that exactly mean? Well, down in verse 16, Paul says, you're slaves to whatever it is you're obeying. Well, before Christ, what happened when our selfish desires came up? If there was a selfish desire, if there was a greedy desire, if there was a lustful desire, what did we do? Sooner or later, we obeyed until it was satisfied. We are controlled by our sinful desires, by our selfish desires, by our destructive habits and impulses. And the, no matter how much we tried to resist it, we eventually caved in. And you know this, the longer you've stayed in sin, the longer you've already seen how destructive sin can be to you and to everyone around you. See, in verse 23, it says, the first half, it says there, the wages of sin is death. That means every second you stay in sin is every second you're being dragged down to greater pain, greater loss, and just a, a total breakdown of life. And yet, no matter how much we're trying to resist, it, it just seems that we can't seem to break sin's hold on us, right? We were slaves to sin. 
But what does it mean that now you're united to Christ? What does the gospel mean for us? It means that you have died to sin. It says there, your old self was crucified with him. See, when Christ was on the cross, he was representing us. He was substituting us. He was dying the death. We should have died for our sins. And therefore, now that we have been fused with him, essentially, we have died to sin. And why? What, what does it, that matter? Well, Paul says, those who have died have been set free from sin. You're free. The, the enslaving power of sin over you has been cut off and you're free from sin's power. You're no longer under sin's thumb. Now, does that mean that uh, you don't get any more temptations? No, of course not. You still get tempted. Does that mean that it becomes easier to resist sin? No, of course not. It's still difficult. But what it does mean is that you have a completely new relationship to sin. You're not a slave. Sin is not your master. Sin is just another force there that has no power over you anymore. You're a free person. You don't have to sin. You don't have to obey sin anymore. See, when you're united, you're fusing to Jesus Christ, two things happen at once. On the one hand, you're fused into the death of Christ, and therefore, you are dead to sins and slaving power over you. But on the other hand, you're also fused into the life of Jesus Christ, and therefore, you're connected directly to the resurrection power of Christ. You have the very power of God dripping down, surging into you. The very power that is going to renew the whole universe it's in you, and you have the power of God to resist sin and be alive to God. See, before Christ, you were one person. But after Christ, you come out a different person. God does something so fundamental, so radical to who you are through Jesus Christ, that the Bible calls you a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are born again. You are a new person. You have a new identity when you become fused to Jesus Christ. You're a new person. You're no longer a slave. You're free. You're no longer dying. You're alive to God. One of the best examples of this is St. Augustine, and he writes this in his autobiography. And he says, uh, before he became a Christian, he was sleeping around with lots of different women. So, you know, he was inflamed with sexual desire and he was indulging it left and right. But when he became a Christian, all of that changed. And so one day, he was walking along when one of his old mistresses saw him. And this woman was one of those women that Augustine was particularly attracted to. And here was this woman, you know, inviting him over to her home, inviting him to uh, go into one of these sexual flings again. And to which Augustine just very politely nods and he says, uh, that's great, thank you very much, but no thank you, no thank you really. 
And then Augustine starts to walk away. And so the, the woman was puzzled, but then she suddenly realizes, oh, maybe Augustine doesn't recognize it's me. And so the woman goes to Augustine and she says, Augustine, it is I. And to which Augustine smiles and he says, yes, I know, but it is not I. What he's saying is, yes, I used to be that person. I used to be a slave to my sexual desires. I used to be that guy, but I'm now a new creation. I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I'm no longer a slave. I'm free in Christ. I am fused into Jesus Christ. I'm new. That's the spiritual reality of every believer. And see, verse 23, the second half says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means every second you are fused with Jesus Christ is every second you're being pulled up to greater peace, to greater joy, and just a total restoration of life at its best. That's the spiritual reality of every believer. You're fused into Jesus Christ. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. That's why the gospel is the power of God for salvation. This is not just a mind games we're playing with ourselves. This is not just some symbolism. This really happened. It's really there. You are a new creation. You have a new identity. You have a real status change. God, by His power, by His grace, has fundamentally and radically changed who you are so that now you are a new person in Jesus Christ, fused into His resurrection power. That's your spiritual reality. That's your new identity. And through that, you now have the capacity to resist sin and, and be an instrument of righteousness, right? Now, some of you might be starting to wonder, and you're starting to say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Why doesn't that seem true to me? Why can't I seem to stop sinning? Well, that leads us to our second point, which is Paul's saying that maybe a spiritual key is missing. Paul is saying a spiritual key is missing. You know, many of us go through something like this. We, we come to know the gospel, and then we try to live it out. And what happens is many of us, we try to live it out, but we fail. We fall back into sin. We fall back into our destructive habits. And, and, you know, we get frustrated. We get disappointed in ourselves. We get disillusioned with the whole Christianity thing. And so we become convinced and we just say, you know, ah, maybe I just can't do it. I, I can't really be as righteous, as holy, as pure as God wants me to be. I just can't do it. But, you know, eh, it's all grace anyway. So, you know. Now, the question, of course, is, is that really all there is to the gospel? Is that really the implications of the gospel? Is that our spiritual reality? How is that the power of God for salvation? Paul says, no. You're missing something. You're missing a crucial key. Change from the reality to your practical daily life doesn't happen automatically. You don't just drift into holiness. You need a spiritual key that will access and allow that power to flow out into your daily life. And Paul says the spiritual key is you have to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. You have to count yourself. You have to remember who you are. You have to regard yourself in a way that the gospel tells you who you really are. You know, what most of us do is we know the gospel, then we try to live it out. But Paul says, you're missing a crucial middle step here. This is the key. Regard yourself this way. Consider it. You have to absorb all that the gospel says about your new reality and identity. That's the key to be able to live out the gospel. You know why? The Greek preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, gives us this illustration. He says, well, imagine a country where one group of people were enslaving another group of people. And they've been slaves for centuries. But then a new king comes up, right? A new king comes up and the new king decrees the emancipation of, of, of these people. They're now free. And what the new king does is he sets up his police, his judges, his soldiers in every place to uphold that new freedom. Now, the oppressing power no longer has any power to command or to, to threaten these group, right? They don't have that power anymore. But here's the key point of the illustration. Dr. Lloyd-Jones asks, do you think that's all it takes? He says the reality is because these people have been slaves for centuries, the reality is whenever this, a member of this group walks along and they meet a member of this group, whenever they see them, they would still tremble. They would become submissive. And this guy could still order them around. And they would do it. They would obey. The slaves would obey it. Why? Because these people had not yet fully grasped their new freedom. They had not fully understood their new reality yet. It had not sunk in yet. They were not considering and remembering their new freedom. And then Dr. Lloyd-Jones end this, ends this whole illustration and he says, Every Christian in this room is to some degree in that condition. It's the only reason you're doing anything wrong. See, what he's saying is, Christians have been set free from sin's power. We don't have to obey it anymore. But the only reason we keep on obeying sin, even until now, is because we aren't recognizing our new spiritual reality. We're failing to consider how God's power has set us free from sin. We're failing to remember our new identity in Christ. We're not grasping it. We're not considering who we really are in Jesus Christ. You know, many days, you're not going to feel like you're free from sin. Many days, you're going to feel like you're being oppressed by sin's power. And then you look around, you see people, you know, falling to sin left and right, and you just become convinced that, you know, I won't, I won't be able to do it. I can't do it. I, I, I have to give in to sin. You know what? That's what Satan wants you to think. Sin and Satan wants you to think that they're still in power. But the reality is, you know that the reality is that the new King Jesus has come and he has stripped them of their enslaving power. You're free. You're free from sin. You're alive to God.
But Paul says the key to accessing that reality out into your daily life is you have to count yourselves in that way. And now, see, that verb there is a, is in a, is a present imperative. That means you, it's something that you have to keep on doing every single day. It's a daily, consistent discipline. You do this every day. You do this multiple times a day. And what you have to do is you have to sit down and you remember and you, and you tell yourself, you, you consider it and you remember and you say to yourself, hey, I'm not a slave to these sinful desires. This sinful desire in me is telling me to do these things. It's telling me this is who I am, but that's not true. I don't have to listen to these desires. I don't have to obey them. I'm free from their power. I have the resurrection power of Christ. I'm fused into him. I don't have to obey that anymore. I have God's power himself connected to my life. And therefore, I'm free. I'm alive to God. See, that's what you have to do. You have to consider yourself in that way. You have to remember who you are and remember the spiritual reality that you have in Christ Jesus. That's the key. That's the key so that we continue and grow more and more to living out the gospel. You know, that also means that as a Christian, and if you're not changing from the ways that you know you should change, it means that you're not lacking any resources or power to change. That's not it. It's all there. God has given you everything. He's changed your, your, your reality. God has fundamentally changed who you are. You have everything. But what you need to do is you need to access that reality. Let it flow out into your life by counting yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And the more you do that, the more you'll find the power of God surging in you to fulfill the righteousness that God commands us to do. Which leads us to point number three, and that is, a spiritual responsibility is commissioned. Now see, God has changed our spiritual reality, but with every reality, there is a corresponding responsibility. That does not happen automatically. You have to live it out. You have to flesh it out onto your daily practical life. And see, what's our responsibility? Paul says, it's our responsibility to not offer any part of yourself to sin, but rather to offer every part of yourself to Him. Now that's simple enough, right? Uh, that means you don't give sin any access to yourself. You don't let sin command you and, and, and lure you and, and guide you and shape you. You don't let sin do that. No access. But instead, you give God every access to yourself. You let God teach you and command you and confront you and shape who you are right? That's simple enough. Now, let me offer three simple comments about this responsibility just to help it become more practical for us, right? Our first comment is, notice this responsibility involves the way we use our bodies. See, it says there, do not offer any part of yourself to sin, rather offer every part of yourself to Him. 
Now, it's talking about our body parts. My hands, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, even my mind and my will. Paul is saying, how are you using every part of yourself? Are you using it to serve sin? Or are you using it to serve God? And so, one practical way that we can uh, do this spiritual responsibility is we can ask ourselves by looking at each and every part of our bodies. And then you say, okay, what about my hands? What have my hands been doing lately? Have I been using it to, to, to harm people or to serve people? Have I been using it to type harsh comments in social media or have I been using it to uplift people and encourage people and lead them to Christ? Right? How can I use my hands in, in, in a very tangible, physical, visible way such that it serves God? And so you do that with every part of yourself, with your hands, with your eyes, what am I reading, what am I seeing, with your mouth, what am I speaking, with my ears, what am I hearing, right? You, 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 you look at every part of yourself and what you want to do is you want to offer every part to Him. See, God has changed our spiritual reality, but it's our responsibility to almost literally flesh it out through our bodies. It's a very tangible change, very physical and visible change that happens in daily practical life. So number one, it involves the way we use our bodies. And number two, it involves a constant no and a decisive yes. A constant no and a decisive yes. And here's what I mean. It's all in the verbs that Paul uses here. On the one hand, Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself. And the verb there is, a, is in present tense, which means this is something you have to keep on doing every day. Keep on doing it. Keep saying no to sin. No, 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 no. And the reason is, even though you have died to sin, sin is still there. It's still going to keep on commanding you. It's going to keep on urging you. It's going to keep on dragging you. But what you have to do is you have to keep saying no, no, no. You don't have the power to do that. And I won't obey you. And I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't cave into you. No, 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 no. And it's a constant no because sin does not take a day off. And neither should you in saying no to sin. So on the one hand, it's a constant no to sin, but it's also a decisive yes to God. See, the verb there, to offer every part of yourself, it's an aorist. And that implies at the very least that there's a starting point. There's a decisive starting point where you say yes to God. And so what can happen is you sit down and you come before the presence of God and you say to Him, you pray to Him, Lord, from this day forward, these hands will serve you. Lord, from this day forward, these eyes will only see what glorifies you. Lord, from this day forward, my mouth will only speak words that uplift people. And so that's what you do. You, you say, from this day forward, you make a decisive, deliberate commitment and say, yes, God, this part of me, every part of me is yours. I will serve you. 
right? So that's what you can do. So our spiritual responsibility involves the way we use our bodies and it involves a constant saying no to sin in every part of our bodies and constant and, and a decisive yes to God to serving Him with our bodies. Now last, this spiritual responsibility involves a battle. There's a struggle, it's a fight. See, Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument for wickedness. Rather, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, the word instrument there can actually also be translated as weapons. And most commentators say that's likely what Paul has in mind here. It's, it's an image of a war. You're either a weapon that sin uses or you're a weapon that God uses for righteousness. And so if it's a war, necessarily that involves a fight, a battle, a struggle. And it means, therefore, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. You're going to suffer. You're going to have to crawl your way out of sin, claw your way out of it. And you'll have to fight your way to the top of God's righteousness. It's a fight. It's a battle. And so go in there with the mentality to, to, to serve God through thick and thin, through suffering or difficulties. I will say yes to you, Lord. So it's a battle. But you don't have to feel hopeless. You don't have to go into that battle feeling weak, coming in from a position of weakness. No. You come from a position of God's power in you. You're fused into Christ. You have His power with you, His Spirit with you. You know, as you go into that battle, that God has changed your spiritual reality and you have a new identity. You're fused into Christ so that sin's power is dead to you and you're alive to God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Know this. Consider it so that now you can go present yourself to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for changing our spiritual reality, giving us a new identity that is free from sin, a new identity that is in Jesus Christ, fused into the very roots of his life. Lord, it boggles our mind to understand just how amazing, how wonderful, how, how astonishing it is to be fused into Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of God. Lord, help us to meditate on these things, to consider it well, to absorb it, so that we may live according to that reality. Father, we want to repent for any way that we have presented ourselves as an instrument of wickedness and sin. Lord, help us think in terms of the gospel so that it becomes unthinkable, inconceivable to go back to sin, to entertain sin in our lives. Father, help us change. Help us understand. Help us grasp what your truth says about us so that we may offer ourselves up to you, every part of ourselves, to you, for righteousness, for your kingdom's sake, for your mission on this earth. Lord, may it be so. Thank you, Lord. Grant us 
the commitment to do so. Grant us the willingness, the joy, and the peace as we do this. And this we pray for the glory of your name. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, to whom we have been united forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that this helps us understand the gospel and lead us to righteousness.